Okay, class. Today we're gonna start with the basics. What's up guys, Pastor Eric here, and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. Today we are continuing our conversation on What is the Gospel, Part 6, Part 2, where we discuss the sixth chapter of N.T. Wright's book, Simply Good News. If you have not listened to last week's episode, go ahead and listen to that now, because we will pick up right in the middle of that conversation. There's an overview of what we're going to be talking about in the last episode, as well as the first part of this conversation about how the gospel impacts politics. Today, we're going to be talking about how the gospel impacts culture. And there are a few things that might be helpful to know before we jump into this conversation. We're talking about culture, and the main thing that we talk about early on is called postmodernism. And postmodernism is a cultural movement that uh, began in the 90s. And the big thing with postmodernism was deconstructing forms and art and stories the way that they had been told the last half of the 20th century. So you may have heard that before. You may be familiar with that or you may be unfamiliar with that. But know that that's a cultural movement that began in the late 90s and has really finished off more recently. And we'll get more into that later. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode of What is the gospel. It's a really important conversation, and I think that there is some really good stuff in here. Uh, all three of us from different theological backgrounds, we all value the gospel, and this conversation was really edifying, and listening to it again as I've been doing some editing work and some of those things, getting it ready to be published this week, has been edifying once again, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get growing. talks a little bit then about like postmodernism and kind of that you know that that comes in of like well people just started rejecting the idea of progress because it's clear that like you said eric when you look at the disparity between what progress is supposed to achieve and the 20th century like it doesn't make sense so clearly it's all a lie um but at the same time the you know he says that like postmodernism kind of rose you know to prominence in people's minds but it hasn't really affected the way that people actually talk yet um that the the primary kind of rhetoric is still progress that things are getting you know better and we both sides talk about progress we might like you said we might disagree on what that progress looks like and which direction we should pressing but both sides talk as though it is kind of the the uh, tides of history are, you know, pushing us towards, you know, one direction or another. And I, I think in the, you know, next generation or so, I think as more younger people who are kind of have been raised in postmodernism, um, you know, in meme culture and the nihilism of the Internet, um, become more of the voices of right. you know prominence i think we will see that shift where all of a sudden now everything is meaningless and like this we've been sold a, a false bill of goods which is which, its which, own yeah problem yeah. but which i which i think you're exactly right that 
and I, I'm glad that he that he brought it up, and I'm glad that you brought it up because that that is a false. We are not a postmodern culture, and like we weren't in the late '90s. We aren't now. One of our professors at Central, Jacob Kaufman, he one time he mentioned that to me. He goes, "Oh, we're not postmodern. We're hypermodern." And I was like, mm. "What?" And I've been thinking about that ever since. And it, and it's so true that it's not. It isn't postmodern. It's not that we're saying, oh, you know, everyone's right and there, you know, it's not actual uh, toleration. It's not actual meaninglessness. It's just hypermodernism. Whatever my whatever my opinion about this thing is is the right opinion. So it's like there's like a million little, um, you know, supermen out there, uh, Nietzsche supermen, who are the ones who are right and they're making the decisions and they should be in charge like the i think generation z so the generation below us just a couple of years below us um i think that you're right on daniel that i already can see online how people our age and people four years younger than us operate Mm -hmm. um on the internet and operate psychologically um, that for by and large the people that I graduated with in high school they are very very concerned even if they're not active super active politically they are very concerned with moral implications of things and they are very active their voices are very loud about certain things but the generation after us just after us they watch Rick and Morty and <laughs> they post memes that joke about, suicide and about the meaninglessness and you know they're living in these crappy little apartments um that have no decorations in them and they just don't care like like they're not interested in the moral arguments the way that people four years older the way that my my peers the people i graduated with are so i i think that you're right um that we're actually just going to be seeing the first crop of young people who really are, really are postmodern. Um, we're just gonna we're gonna start seeing them um, now. This just popped in my head, and I got to thinking about song lyrics. You said this isn't vernacular in our common to our culture. Typically, you know, art reflects the direction that we're heading. Right. You know, one of my favorite musicians, John Mayer, because he's an amazing guitar player, and I will stand here as a man and say that I have. <laughs> Deep affection for John Mayer and his musical abilities. <laughs> I don't care what you say. So he had a song that came out when I was in 2006. So that would have been when I was in high school, like my junior slash senior high school. Right. And here's the first. I'm just going to read you the first verse um, and then the chorus of this song. Okay. Is there anyone who remembers changing their mind from the paint on a sign? Is there anyone who really recalls ever breaking rank at all from something someone yelled real loud one time? Oh, everyone believes in how they think it ought to be. Oh, everyone believes, and they're not going easily. And then the chorus is, we're never going to win the world. We're never going to stop the war. We're never going to beat this if belief is what we're fighting for. And if you put that in context of, of that whole... In the lyrics of that song, if you put that in context, sort of our conversation, you see this sort of this sort of dis, dissatisfaction with like, oh, yeah, you believe that this is better. You believe this is great. But these people believe it, too. 
And if this is what we're, if this is progress, if this is what we're fighting for, Uh, we're never going to get anywhere. I think that points to the seeds in our culture of moving that direction. Like you're talking about meme culture. I think, I think that you're right. And, And we see that a lot. We can also see the seeds of it in like Muse and Modest Mouse and Radiohead and Nirvana. Like we can see it, the seeds there. I think that you're right. The more deconstructing that happened, people are, young people younger than us are finally like really buying into it. Isn't that what makes what the gospel offers so much more in that there is an actual hope for the future? Yeah. And it's an optimistic hope. And it's a hope that I get to be a part of, but it's not dependent on me being super successful or changing a whole bunch of people's minds. Right. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. that's not to that's not a call to complacency. And that's kind of what he talks about. It's difficult work. It's sporadic. It's not always long lasting. But we have a hope for a real future of a restored creation with the perfect king where our work is not futile. The earth isn't producing weeds and thistles. There's not, you know, um, there's not the struggle between man and wife like we see, you know, all those curses of the fall. But there's actually a hope. For the future, and, right. and and really, what makes this the greatest period of of history to live in is not the Enlightenment. It's not progress for project's sake. It's not technology. It is the fact that we have something to look for the first time in right. human history. Once Christ came out of that tomb, we had something to look forward to in the future. That was that was utopia. That was perfect because god was taking control of things yeah and that and i think that that's freeing it becomes a freeing thing because it's not like you said it's not dependent on me making sure that i check the right box when i'm in the voting booth right like i can look at my decision and i can say i'm going to make the best educated decision i can but ultimately this person or that person is not going to be the person (laughs) who makes it right um and you don't need to put your hope in that. You can actually put your hope in um, in a more sure footing. And that is you can look at the resurrection. You can see, I, I've, I know that I've seen this happen. This is the down payment. Uh, I get to live in, in the kingdom now by the Holy Spirit. I get to experience the presence of Jesus. Um, I get to experience the fruit of the Spirit. And I get to labor for things that are, are worthwhile. I get, you know, we, we are called to labor for those who are sick and hurting and poor and abandoned. And we get to participate in that. And um, no, I think that you're right. I think it's a very freeing thing that now we don't need to make sure that we have the right political opinions or, you know, and we can understand that there's going to be inconsistencies that at one, you know, on one hand, at the end of the day, I need to buy shoes from somewhere. And more than likely my <laughs> shoes are not made in an ethical place right like yeah but i don't i don't have the money to spend you know whatever it is 120 dollars on a pair of shoes that was made by jim bob up in the hills and they're gonna fall apart after four days you know what i'm saying it's like mm-hmm. and we can't do everything right but we don't have to do everything right we just have to keep laboring and i think that goes back to what you mentioned daniel at the top that like it's about persistence it's about perseverance it's about putting our head down and keep, you know, going. 
So it almost makes you think the the gospel pitch to that sort of disconnected postmodern mm. as it comes along is, hey, are you dissatisfied with the system? Let me tell you about God that's completely outside the system, not even part of this power structure. Well, he's he's part of it. Yeah, let me let me let me talk to you about something more. My, you know, I think I told that I think I said this before. But my go-to is the Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you? Oh, you're posting memes on Facebook. How's that? How's that working for you? Eric, you're Most showing your time, age because the Gen Zers do not use Facebook, so no, <laughs> no one's posting memes to Facebook except people's grandmothers now. That's right. <laughs> and they're all minion memes for some reason. I don't understand. Inexplicable. <laughs> Inexplicable. So, uh, oh, oh, you're you're dabbing on TikTok. How does that work out for you? Is that more appropriate? I don't know. <laughs> what What are the kids doing these days? I actually just downloaded TikTok this weekend. And I, it's entertaining, but I'm realizing I'm realizing how few friends I have younger than me because I like I don't know anybody on TikTok. <laughs> there are these there's these two girls across the street from us. I never see them except about once or twice a week so far this summer um, at like seven o'clock in the morning outside making tiktok videos i don't know if that's the i don't know that's the right time i don't know how time works in the tiktok universe (laughs) (laughs) i assume there's something to do with time because it says tiktok we are so old is that the most old man explanation possible (laughs) but i think i think that the gospel is going to be like like he said at the beginning of the book it's going to be both scandalous and foolishness you're right. It doesn't answer every single question like, well, why doesn't why doesn't God just come down and make all the bad things, you know, go away? You know, why doesn't he just do this? It, like it doesn't answer those questions. Um, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a we're going to have to have those hard conversations. But there is also he points out kind of at the end of the chapter, there is hope in that. And I think, Paul, you you alluded to this, too, that like, you know, it's not about that. I have to do all of the right thing. Yes. Um, And he says, you know, um, he's quoting from Philippians 3, and he says, you know, in other words, the sure sign of Christian maturity is that you know you haven't arrived yet. Right. Mm, And there is is something incredibly freeing about that. Um, Be like, all right, yep, I recognize, to use an analogy from my generation, you know, we're in the matrix, right? But it's um, it's not up to me to solve that problem, you know? I'm called to faithfulness and to obedience and to, you know, perseverance. But as I'm doing that, I recognize how far I still have to go and that there is something about that where then, you know, I am free from the burden to perform because that is where the Holy Spirit, that's where Christ comes along. And, um, you know, the footprints in the sand, right, carries you as cheesy as that is. But Nice. Um, <laughs> nice call back to the generation above us. I like it. We're, was we're that posted all, on the minion meme? Is that did you see that yeah, on Facebook? Yeah, yeah we're <laughs> we're po- we're hitting all of the the key demographics here. But yeah, there there is just something freeing about that that I do yeah. not have to perform this, and by recognizing that I don't have to perform this, that makes me somehow closer yeah, to right. the ideal than when I think I'm under the delusion of oh I've got this all figured out. Yeah, that that was a big shift for me coming out of uh, out of the tradition that I came out of, where it was very reliant on the, these, this idea of progress. And 
I, I realize that for the most part, no one performs the way that they're supposed to. You know, like I'm like looking around and I'm like, everyone's super crappy. Like everyone is just really sucks. And I found it to be an oppressive. It was an oppressive system to be under this system of like continual progress, continual um, all like progressive sanctification and coming into the Lutheran world, there, there's the emphasis on freedom, which I really, which I really appreciate. Um, and there's a recognition that progress does happen, uh, but it, I, but I'm not the one who progresses. Um, it is, it is Christ. That's who progresses me. I, I kind of talk about it this way. I, I did this in a, uh, during one of our Lent services, but have you guys, are you guys familiar with the, the Eagle who grew up to be a, prairie chicken are you familiar with this story no no where there's this eagle egg that rolls out of a nest or something like that and falls amongst this prairie chicken uh nest and prairie chickens don't fly they're these gross little birds and this eagle hatches and is raised by this prairie chicken mom mama and and with other prairie chickens and he spends his life thinking he's a prairie chicken and every day he sees these eagles fly overhead and he thinks, man, it would be great to fly. And the mama of prairie chicken always says, no, we're prairie chickens. We don't fly. And every single day he sees these these eagles fly over and he always thinks, I wish that I, I wish that I could fly, too. I want to fly. And every day the prairie chickens around him would say, no, you are you're a prairie chicken. You can't fly. And this eagle died as a prairie chicken, not flying, not ever flying a day in its life. So that's the story. And of course, and it's used by, by pastors, by preachers to be whatever, inspirational that like, no, you're an eagle. You're an eagle. You fly. You need to spread your wings and you need to try. I, I remember, I, I'll always remember, I had, a, I had a mentor who said this. We were talking about that that story one time. And this mentor that I had was like, what happens if you are just a prairie chicken? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what if someone's sitting in the in the aisle of that church in the pew, and they're and they're just a prairie chicken, and they're not supposed to fly? And so, what I like to do is I like to talk about, you know, we're not eagles, we're armadillos, just ugly and rough. And well, to tell you what. Armadillos do what armadillos do every single day. And they've got some tough skin and they just keep grinding it out. They just keep every single day. They're digging in the dirt, getting their grubs, taking care of the little armadillo family, taking care of the little armadillo friends. And they just keep working and keep working and keep working with the, with tough skin. That's how So I say that we're Christians are armadillo people because we, we just put our nose to the grindstone and, we love our community. We love our families. We we self-sacrifice every single day. And we have to have a super thick skin because things are going to come along. They're going to try to take our joy away. They're going to try to steal our hope. Um, but we just have to keep digging in that dirt, man. Just, keep, just getting all up in there. you know. <laughs> so he talks in the chapter about that this is good news for the world, but it's also good news for us personally. Mm. And um, – and – so to use your armadillo analogy, maybe um, an, an armadillo that's spending a lot of time thinking about um, the political aspirations or what's the exact right way to believe about it is an armadillo that's probably not gathering grubs 
or taking right. care right. of the people around him. Right. And I think I think ultimately um, uh, what it comes down to is a lot of this stuff that we distract ourselves with, whether it's entertainment um, or whether it's politics or whatever it may be, it just it distracts us from what is right, what is right in front of us, you know, because, I, you know, I can't make the president help take care of the orphan and the widow but you know what i can take care of the orphan and the widow that are in my community and i and i should right and and ultimately what we end up doing is we don't do the things that we're supposed to do and we worry a lot about stuff that we, we really have no impact on yeah i was having that conversation with a, a friend over the weekend about like as christians sometimes our um, our default position is I'm not not going to do something unless I'm sure that it's what God is calling me to do. Right? Uh, Someone suggests an idea. Mm. It's like, no, thanks, because I'm not sure that that's really what God wants me to do. Yeah. Um, and so what that turns into is, and my friend and I have both confessed that our, one of our biggest struggles is pride. And, mm. you know, kind of that idea that we are usually right and, you know, we usually know the best way of doing things is you, you start saying no to things because, well, if they fail, um, it doesn't reflect well on my personal brand and on the reputation that I have built up. Right. Because if I've got a track record where everything, I t- I've got the Midas touch and everything I touch just turns to gold and it works out and you know it's a ministry that God blesses or whatever, um, that looks really good for me and people think highly of me. But if I start taking on some of these, you know, these side projects that, you know, that's going to be tough and I don't know you know, the the chance of failure or of, um, you know, it not working out in a fantastic way or higher, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I'm going to look a lot, you know, more human and a lot uh, less awesome. And, you know, there is something, I think, humbling about undertaking tasks that are very difficult and there is a low likelihood of success right. because it's not about me. It's not about, oh, right, Daniel pulled it off again. It is about, if this works, it's not because Daniel did something. It's because God showed up because Daniel completely botched this Mm -hmm. entirely. And even if it's botched, it's like, yeah, because it's not about me. Like, I tried my best, and I couldn't do it, and that's okay. Yeah, I I really like that analogy. And I you hear people say that all the time. Well, I just, I don't know if. Like, is it God's will that I take this job or is it God's will that I do this thing or does I do that thing? Uh, you know, and James talks about that. You know, he says we should say if it is the Lord's will, we will go to this city or that city and do this thing or that thing. The reality is, is that in a lot of these situations, God's God's will is is made known to us in the scripture, whether you should do something or not. And we just haven't engaged that. And so it's not really about whether I think it's going to have a likelihood of success. It's about whether or not does God call believers to do this thing. And if he does, I, well, I'm a believer, so therefore I am called Fair to this game. thing. Yeah. Right. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of the hardest things for people who are raised of faith to hear is like, I can go to either this college or that college and God is going to be happy with me either way because mm-hmm. my choice of college will not save me. Like, that is not how God ordained to rescue me from my sin and from death. 
like that happened in Jesus. So yeah, I I think that you're you guys are right on. God's kingdom is much more of a sandbox than I think we give it credit for. I think that we can kind of treat it as we want God to just be like a Greek God who gives us oracles for exactly what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to, you know, well, in the Greek mm-hmm. stories, who we're supposed to kill and what 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 beast we're supposed to slay. And, you know, we want it to be that way. But God, but the gospel is, you know, I have I have saved you. You are mine. You are my child. And we get to live in the kingdom in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's that's a whole different way of approaching the world, of operating in the world, of thinking about the world. Um, that doesn't fit nicely into the philosophical uh, paradigms that we have in in our world around us. Well, and it it's also pretty arrogant to think that if God has a specific plan for my life, that I can screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're not you know? supposed to do something, you you won't do it. Right. Yeah. Well, like, like, well, he's going to make it fail if you're not supposed to do something. But I, I think you can see you see people in the Bible that like Jonah was going to go to Nineveh. Right. He was going to whether he he obviously didn't want to. And God had a very specific plan for Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah didn't have a choice. Right. He was going to go to Nineveh. Yeah. Um, and there are people in the Bible that had choices before them and God still worked his plan out anyways you know and so this whole idea of like well I have to pick the exact right thing or I have to believe the exact right thing or I have to vote the exact right way or I have to marry this very exact perfect right soulmate person or or go to whatever exact right college yeah you're assuming you have a lot more control in the world than you really have <laughs> and that you can screw up god's plan right yeah and and yeah it's, it's gonna like, work out <laughs> it's like uh one of my favorite passages uh, uh super obscure probably but um gamaliel's speech from acts chapter five um where they are before the the apostles have been brought in and they're like, well, what should we do? They're preaching this guy and this Jesus character. This is dangerous. We can't let them continue. And he's like, no, leave them alone. Let them go. If this is of human origin, it's going to fail. If it's from God, you're not going to be able to stop them. So there's Mm -hmm. no point in us, you know, trying to, to stop this because it's going to fail if they're just making it up. And if it's, if God is, if they're actually preaching the truth and God's on their side, we cannot stop them no matter how hard we try. Yeah, that's really good. What we've run into here is and what he repeated in this chapter is that it's not clean, it is not easy, and it is not super clear. He kept emphasizing as opposed to progressive, it's sporadic. That mm-hmm. you know, things happen, we take two steps forward, one step back, three steps backwards, fourteen steps forwards four steps back, you know, it's like, it's not the way that we would like it to be. It's not progressive the way that we would like it to be. Um, it's a much more kind of complex. Uh, we, we have to trust that God is getting us to the place that he is taking us, um, rather than trying to make sure that, that we do everything right to get to that place that we want to go. Um, Mm -hmm. ultimately. And so I, I like that. And I think that we've, I think that our conversation has exposed that there's not 
there's not a clear cut answer at the end of the day um, that we have to just kind of operate as best we can um, in the time space reality that we have and uh, continue to love and serve our neighbor no matter what. I just think, I think it's really cool that even from maybe three varying philo- uh, not philosophical, theological perspectives, the gospel is still the central theme, you know, and there may be some ancillary things that are different. Um, and those certainly have real implications in the world, of course, but, um, but what, a, what a beauty it is that, that there is unity and harmony in the body of Christ. I think that's really, that has been a really cool thing so far yeah. in our, in our conversations that I've, I've really enjoyed and, and been encouraged by. Yeah. I think that, I think that you're right. Paul, there's, I think that harmony is the right word. There's been a lot less disagreement than I expected and a lot more harmony um, than I expected, which has been a treat. I mean, I do kind of miss, I do, I do, I would have liked to have, you know, just a freaking yeah. knockdown, drag out, whatever. Well, if you guys, you guys should have told me if you wanted me to play devil's advocate, <laughs> I love that more than almost anything else. Like, you should have just warned me. I could have gone to town here, but. Yeah, I'll keep I'll keep my Westminster Confession of Faith and my Heidelberg Catechism right, right next to my iPad next time if you'd like. I'll come with I'll come with John Piper and John MacArthur quotes like you wouldn't Ready believe, man, if that's what you want. Oh man! All right, guys, thanks so much. Appreciate the conversation. Appreciate you guys and your thoughts. So thanks again for joining us. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And thanks uh, all you listeners for tuning in. Uh, this week we have a couple more weeks of this and then we'll be moving on to a new series uh, so thank you guys so much for joining us god bless and have a great weekend